Hey, grab your Bibles. And uh, yes, we are turning to the book of John again. And while you're turning there, yeah, we're back. Um, two quick announcements. One is in the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear something called the next generation. Next generation is, is something that our church, uh, the elders and our, our building team uh, committees, and, and they've They've just been praying about what's next for this church, and we're going to share with you um, some, some neat stuff coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So just look for those announcements. It's called The Next Generation. Another thing that's going on right now and for the next, uh, I think, five more days is Revival Heil. I sent an email out last couple of weeks and then sent another one out this week with the schedule. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, churches all across Fulton County are gathering together uh, for a time of prayer and revival and going out throughout the week sharing their faith. And uh, there's a time in the evening to hear more about it and in the morning to get trained up and go out uh, every day all the way up through this coming Thursday is the last day. So that's information's in the email. If you missed it or you can go to Facebook, they've got a page as well. It's called Revive Ohio. Okay, John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some here. We can bring one to you if you need one. John chapter 9. Now, before we get into John 9, let's back it up to John 8. Uh, for some of you, it's, it's been about a month since we've been in this book. Um, so let, let's catch up. It started up with John 8 where Jesus is at the temple and he's, gonna, uh, he's in there and they bring this woman who's committed an adultery. And the, these religious leaders want to throw stones at her. They're, they're going to stone her. And, and, of course, Jesus diffuses that whole situation. They all drop their stones, walk away. And then Jesus makes some pretty incredible claims about his identity, who he is as God. And then those religious leaders don't like that, and so they come back and basically pick up those rocks, and they're going to throw them at Jesus, right? That's the end of chapter 8. Chapter 9 is we pick up, and let's read this, is this. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born, uh, been blind from birth. I'm going to pause for a second, okay, because we need to tie something in here from 8 9. They just had all these stones that they want to throw at Jesus. And it isn't like Jesus ran from them. I don't know about you, but I know if it was me, and I've got somebody picking up stones and they're going to throw them at me, I'm probably running. For one, I'm not walking. Two, I'm probably running and looking back, make sure one's not going to hit me in the back of the head, right? Jesus, in this situation, he's, he's what? Walking along. Is, that, is his focus on the back? No. His focus is, there's a blind man up here. I'll go talk to him. That's what I love about this situation. And it's something we just need to remember. In the midst of controversy, in the midst of things that scare us, in the midst of fear, in the midst of when we feel like we're being chased down and shaken down, God's in control. He is so cool about this, so calm about this. God is in control. He has power. He cannot be frustrated in this situation. And so he just, you know what? I know what's behind me, and I know they hate me. I know they want to kill me. they got rocks in their hands right now. But I'm on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. And there's a blind man up here. I'm going to go talk to him. And he walks forward. That's what's going on here, just to sort of give you an idea. <clears throat> so let's pick this back up. Chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Teacher, his disciples said. Why was this man born blind? Was it a result of his sins or those of his parents? It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. He was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. All of us must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent me. Because there's little time left before the night falls 
and all work comes to an end. But while I am still here in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, in this situation, you see Jesus walk up to this blind man. The disciples ask the age-old question. You know, they, they've got to know, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? That's sort of what they're getting at here. Put in another form of the question, why do the innocent suffer? And why do the evil prosper? It just doesn't make sense, God, right? So why was this man born blind? Did he sin? Oh, wait, did his parents sin? They want to know, why, why, why does this all happen? Now, understand, what they're thinking wasn't new. We, we've been asking those same questions today, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Did I, did I do so? I must have done something. Now I'm paying for it. It's karma, right? You've heard that phrase before? Understand the whole karma phrase is from the religion of Hinduism, in Hinduism, they believe in this caste system. Hindu is the belief, uh, I'm sorry, karma is the belief that good begets good, bad begets bad. If I do something bad, I'm going to have something bad come back on me. If I do something good, something good will come back on me. That's the karma system that the Hindus believe. Okay? That's something that Christians do not believe in. Okay? Even though we often, it comes out of our mouths like, oh, that's bad karma. It's like, that's bad religion. Okay? Part of that Hindu belief, though, besides karma, is then is reincarnation which is this type of uh, transmigration of souls, they call it. So basically, when, I, when I'm done on this earth and I die, if I've been a bad person, I am reincarnated into something worse. If I am good, I am reincarnated into something better. So, you know, people have joked about it, but they're like, hey, don't kill that fly, that might be great Grandpa Joe. Okay, you know, don't cook that cow because that might be aunt, you know, so-and-so. Um, but it's like, why do they believe that? Because they believe that if they were bad, they were Taken back, not maybe to a person, but to an animal. That's what the Hinduism belief is, with reincarnation. And you keep going through that cycle, birth and rebirth, birth, rebirth, birth, rebirth, until you reach nirvana, which is not a band, okay? It is their belief that that's what their heaven is. That's Hinduism. So those kind of thoughts were going on at the same time as many other false beliefs. Christians do not believe that. According to God's work, we know that our works do not save us. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of your works. Otherwise, we would boast about it, is what Paul says. So as we look in God's word here, we can sort of find some answers here to, to help us with what these guys are thinking. Because again, truth is, my good behavior, my good actions doesn't always re, re, end up in rewards. And sometimes my bad behavior, my mistakes, doesn't always mean I'm going to get punished for them either. Now, if all those other false religions were true, yeah, that would happen, but that's not the way it works. And it's like, well, that's not fair. I mean, sometimes I do good things and bad things happen to me, and sometimes I do bad things, good things happen. It's like, that's not fair. I've never found it in the Bible where it says life is fair. It's not in there. God never says, hey, let's start off with something. I want to let you know life is fair. Never says that. Never says that. Our actions have consequences, right? Good things happen as a result of good choices. Bad things happen as a result of bad choices. And sometimes I can make a good choice and still get something bad. I can, I can. Have you ever hit the Pepsi machine or the Pepsi button on a on a vending machine and Sprite comes out or something like that? You're like, wow, I didn't push that or that. What you know that happens, 
right? Sometimes that happens. Have you ever said, you know what? I'm living my life as a, with life of integrity. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to do what I need to do. And, oh, I still got a D, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, come on. I know there's teenagers in here who look at their classmates and they see them do things in school. And they get away with stuff and they never get in trouble. So as a person of integrity, why should I do the good things? Because I can do bad things and get away with it. So I understand when it comes down to good choices and bad choices and rewards and so forth and so on. Sometimes it just isn't fair. Let's let's share something that is in God's word, and that is this. Pain and suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. Sometimes there's no reason, there's no excuse for it. We all suffer. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room will suffer in one way or another. Whether it's from disease, an ailment of some kind, cancer, loss, maybe a a bad relationship. We all suffer in one form or another. We all experience suffering. And here's the thing. Although we all suffer, it may, may not be similar. I may have some kind of physical ailment. You may have some kind of physical ailment. And it may be a different level of pain, right? But we've all experienced pain. And here's the thing. There's no pat answers for why. We, we don't have it. Human suffering. God doesn't come along and say, let me explain why. He just says, there is. And I am. And I have the answers for that. And I can help you, right? We look at verse, verse 3 and what does Jesus say? He doesn't answer the question, was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? What does Jesus say? He says, it's not because of either of those. He goes, this happens so that the power of God could be seen. I know that wasn't what you were looking for. But because of suffering, you get to see salvation. Because of the pain, you get to see the Savior step in and do something. Jesus doesn't try to explain the sin and suffering relationship. Instead, he says, this is an opportunity to show you what God can do. And he can do pretty amazing things. Suffering is opportunity to demonstrate the glory of God. So before Jesus does anything, he says, you know what? Before I show you what I can do, let me remind you of my mission and that we are on a mission together. Look what he says in verse 4. We must, let me hear you say we must. He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. Let's go to those first two words again. They're up on the screen here. The first two words together. Here we go. One, two, three. We must. Yeah, we must. It's like he starts off saying, listen, I've got something here I need to remind you of. I'm on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. And we, all of us who are believers, must do something with that. Time is short. Night is coming. Jesus uses a time period here, which he doesn't always do, but he uses a time period here to show us the limitation of our time on earth. Night's coming. Our work's going to be done. You only have so long. You only have so many days in your life. And those two key words, we must, says, I'm going to include you in my mission. And together, we must. There is some urgency to this. And we're going to do it together. And it's pretty simple. This blind man can't see, right? But it wasn't just about physical. It was a spiritual blindness as well. He had no faith in Jesus Christ. He had no faith in God. Romans 3.11 says this, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. 
left to ourselves, we don't want to look for God. We're spiritually blind. We don't want to see him. And Jesus gets that. He goes, yeah, he's, he's physically blind. We're going to do something about that in a second. But I want you to know something. He's also spiritually blind. And time is running short, people. We must do something about it. There's a reason why I share with you about Revival How. There's a reason why every Sunday I stand up here and I say, at the end of the church service, I always say what? Go be the church. Because I want to encourage you to go join Jesus in this mission to share truth. Because there are a lot of people that are spiritually blind and your eyes have been opened. You've got good news to share with them. So we must take Jesus to the blind. Um, and to do that, we've got to have the eyes of Jesus. We've got to have the eyes of Jesus. I'm going to do something. This is going to be very awkward for all of you. This is fine. And if like you're visiting, it's like, this is the last Sunday I'm coming to this church. Okay? Please come back. Okay. Would you all please stand? And if you're uh, standing somewhere or you're sitting somewhere by yourself, like a long distance away, somebody get a little bit closer. I think everybody's good. Everybody's good. Okay. Yep. Everybody's in. All in. Come on. Okay. All right. Here's what you're going to do. Now, first of all, I want to take a look around. I want you to see the people standing next to you. Just sort of visually see how tall, short they are, that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now. Here comes the awkward part. Everybody close their eyes. Everybody close their eyes. Nobody looking around. No cheaters. No cheaters. Okay? You're all officially the blind man in John chapter 9. Now, I want you to keep your eyes closed and introduce yourself to somebody. Go. Be, be very careful where you wave your arms. <laughs> be very careful where you place your hands. Yep. All right, okay, that's good, that's good. There's a lot of awkwardness there. <laughs> Some of you are like, whoop, okay, you can have a seat. Yes, please please open your eyes and have a seat. Yes, there you go. Okay, now why would we do that? I don't know. I just got the joy of watching a lot of you be very awkward with each other, and it was fun. Some of you are like, and the other... I'm like, don't hit that person, don't hit that person. Ooh, okay, good, that was good, all right. Some of you are like, that was, uh, yeah, I put myself in a bad situation, so my apologies for that. But yet, that blind man doesn't have what we have. I want you to think about this. He doesn't have that ability to look around and greet people on a daily basis. He, all he saw was darkness day after day. He was born that way. He has no idea what color is. He has no idea what people's faces look like. You had the opportunity to look and see who was around you before you shook hands. He didn't have that. He didn't know who was around him. Complete darkness. He puts his hand out. He doesn't know what he's going to touch. He doesn't know what he's going to hit. He doesn't know who he's going to hit. And then while he's standing there holding his, whatever, maybe he had something in his hand begging, all he hears is this conversation. Hey, teacher. Did this guy really screw up? Is that why he's blind? Or did his parents do something really bad? Is that why he's blind? It's like, oh, people are talking about me. And he wondered, could he just see their face, introduce himself to him, say, listen, I'm, I was born, so I don't, you know. We put ourselves in their shoes and realize that's a helpless place to be, isn't it? Anybody feel helpless when they're sort of like, I don't want to do this again. I won't have you ever do that again, okay? Right? But I want you to think about this, okay? Here, here's why I say we've got to have the eyes of Jesus. Because for Jesus, it was sort of like this. The disciples come along and they saw a sinner. Jesus, who sinned? Him or his parents? He's a sinner. People, other people walk along and saw what? A beggar. He's begging. I see a sinner. I see a beggar. Oh, what did the Pharisees, the religious leaders see? 
a pawn for their trap. Let's just use him to get our way. We'll get Jesus. And what did Jesus see? Somebody who needed help. Sometimes we forget as we walk around, there's a lot of people needing help. And they, they're blind maybe to see what's going on. They're blind to God's love. They're blind to God's grace. They're blind to God's goodness. They don't see it. And this is our opportunity to have the eyes of Jesus and look at somebody and say, you know, maybe they just need Jesus. Right? How do you view people? I love this. He gives the urgency. He shows the remedy to darkness. The remedy is light. He says, he says in verse 5, he goes what? But while I'm still here in the world, guess what? I'm the light of the world. This isn't the first time Jesus said that. Matter of fact, he said he was the light of the world in John 1, 8-9. At the very beginning of this book, John the author introduces Jesus Christ. He says, I myself am not the light, simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. John 3, 19, 8, 12, and 12, 46, Jesus basically says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that John talked about. I've come into a dark place, and I want to bring lightness. The light is a reminder of God's new creation, and he's going to make all things new. This world was, was void and dark and black, and God said, let there be light, and boom, there's light, right? And then God said, you know, let my son be light in this world, and he sent Jesus Christ to be a light. And I tell you, when the light comes on, darkness flees, doesn't it? Have you ever gone out maybe in your backyard or in the woods or somewhere and you, you sort of kicked the log and rolled it over? And when you do, what happens underneath? All those bugs squirming and worms and little creatures go crawling everywhere, creepy everything. They're like, they're, they're scattering, aren't they? Because they don't like the light. They've been exposed. See, when you bring light to a darkness, it exposes everything that's going on and darkness just flees. People don't like it. Don't expose what's going on in my life. I don't want people to see, right? And so Jesus says, the light is here. It's time for darkness to flee. So look what he does. Read with me in verse 6. He spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. He spread the mud all over the blind man's eyes. He said, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went, he washed, and he came back seen. Now, was this the first time Jesus healed a blind man? I mean, this is his method. Spit in the ground, make mud, rub it on his eyes, go wash in a pool of Siloam. Is this the first time Jesus ever healed a blind man? The answer to that would be in the book of John. This is the first time we see an official name and record of everything. It's mentioned earlier in John, but if you line up the, the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, four, the Gospels, and you do it chronologically, which means according to time. Here's, here's what you're going to see. I'm going to stick them up on the screen for you. Okay? You're going to see that Jesus heals the blind starting in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, chronologically. Okay? Um, now, it's talked about he was healing blind, lame, paralyzed, taking care of the sick, throwing out demons. But then the first time anything is specifically mentioned about somebody being blind is in Matthew 11, 4 and Luke 7, 21. Those are, they share the same story. Jesus heals the blind, uh, the lame, the lepers, and the deaf. Matthew 12, 22, it says a demon-possessed man who was also blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. And it says that Jesus healed the man and he was able to see and speak. Matthew chapter 9, 26, Mark 5, 21 um, and Luke 8:40 share another similar story. Now this one I'm going to read to you. 
So after Jesus left the girl's home, now listen to this very carefully. This little girl had died. She was dead. And Jesus brought her back to life. Why is this important? Because a lot of times we limit Jesus on what we think he can do. If he can bring the dead to life, do you think he can bring sight to the blind? Yeah. If he brings the whole body back, I think he can take care of the eyes, right? It says, after Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus said, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him. Then he touched their eyes, and they were able to see. And he said, Because of your faith, it will happen. So we see that Jesus speaks over people they can see. He touches their eyes with his hands they can see. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, the next one on there basically goes back to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. He goes back home. And he goes into the synagogue to read. And as by tradition, when a teacher shows up, let's let the teacher read today. So they handed him a scroll. The scroll happened to be Isaiah. Jesus opens up the scroll and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, he just didn't open up eyes physically, but he said, the Lord, the Spirit is upon me. The blind will see. And not just the physical, but the spiritually we will see. Listen, we can, we can be physically blind or any other kind of sickness, but you still have the hope of heaven. But if you are spiritually blind, you have no hope of heaven. All you have is hell. And it's important to understand it and see that and Jesus says, I've come here to bring sight to the physically blinded and the spiritually blinded so that there's a hope of heaven for all. Matthew 15, 30 to 31. More people were brought to Jesus, lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak. A lot of us, they brought him before and Jesus basically again spoke life into them and they were healed. The blind could see, it says. Mark eight twenty two to 36, this is a good one. When they arrived at Bethsaida, they brought people they brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. I love this. We've seen Jesus, what, touch people, talk over them. And they say, just touch him and heal him. Listen to what scripture says. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and then spit in his eyes. I won't do that. You can have a seat. See, I did that again because you were expecting what? He's going to touch his hands. He's going to put his hands on his head. No, did I read that correct? Let him out by the village, then spitting on the man's eyes. Then he laid hands on him and said, can you see anything? And the man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I don't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were opened and his sight was completely restored. And he could see everything clearly. Now, why do I like that story so much? Because it shows us what Jesus can do. He can heal people just like that. And sometimes, you know, it might be in stages. He says, yeah, I can, I can heal you completely, but you know what? You still need to trust me. So the healing process has begun. It's not complete yet. Some of us are, understand what that means. It's like, I'm still hurting. It's a journey. It's a journey. God can heal you completely if he wants, but for some reason, he's going to let you continue to trust him 
just like that blind man did. And then he completely restored him. Jesus, Jesus finishes his ministry in the surrounding area, then he heads towards Jerusalem. And that's when we get to John 9. So I wanted you to hear all those other moments touching, talking over, spitting into the eyes, touching. That's how he healed. Then John 9, Jesus what? He spits on the ground, picks it up, makes mud, puts it on the eyes. It says, go wash in full salon. It's important that you hear this because here's the thing. I believe God works in so many different ways. As I said, all of us in this room suffer. We all do. All of us have something we're challenged with. And at different levels and different degrees. Some of you in there have a pain right now. It's way up here. And some of you are like, I'm doing really good. My pain's down here. But the thing is, all of us have pain in one way or another. And God says, you know what? I can come to you in your pain. And I may heal it right now. I may take you on a journey of healing. But I'm going to use a different method with each of you. Our pain may be not so much unique to other people, but the way he touches you is unique. He will touch you differently than he touches somebody else. He will heal you differently than he'll heal somebody else. If you look in the Matthew 20 and then the same stories in Mark 10 and Luke 18, there's another story about Jesus healing. And then John 12, 25 Jesus reminds, I've come as a light to shine in darkness, so that you all put your trust in me and no longer remain in the dark. Again, he's talking to some blind man, and then I love Matthew 21, 14. Have I said I love on all these so far? I think I have. There's a lot of loving going on in God's Word. Matthew 21, 14, Jesus clears the temple, tosses out the merchants, turns over the tables. That's all we ever get when we read that story, right? Man, he was so mad. We missed something, though. He also healed the lame and the blind, Scriptures say. They came to him. See, blindness was not unique. And neither are your problems. But the way he handles each and every one of us is in a unique way. That's the way he works. Church, I want to encourage you something here. Um, Whatever's you got going on, God can speak into your life and help you in these moments. But you've got to let him speak to you. And you've got to listen to him. Sometimes you may not even be praying something because you're so stubborn about it. And he's coming to you and saying, I want to do something in your life, but you're not talking to me. If you go back to this conversation, this man never asked Jesus to be healed. I don't know, go ahead and read it again, John 9, 1 to 6. At any point in time, did he cry out? There's multiple scriptures that I just had up on the screen. They cried out, Son of David, Son of Man, Rabbi. Different terms they use for Jesus. Heal me. Help me. They're calling out. This blind man never said anything according to this account. He didn't know that he could be healed. You know, he begged every day just to survive. And Jesus said, I've got something I want to give you to help you thrive. And there's a big difference. And Jesus did this incredible thing. It's called a miracle. A miracle. And when miracles happen... When great things happen in our lives, we've got to celebrate more. We just think how great, how great, how great is our God. And they're like, yes, yes, he's great. And we need to worship and sing that and shout that and, and tell people that, right? But sometimes we don't. Instead, we get a little skeptical. Well, God's good, but uh. why do I say that? Back to John 9. We're going to read a little bit. Okay, John chapter 9. Picking up in verse 8. 
His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Is this the same man, that beggar? Some said he was, others said no, but he surely looks like him. And the beggar kept saying, I'm the same man, I'm the same man. And they asked, well, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, smoothed it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud. I went, I washed, and now I can see. Well, where is he now, they asked. He goes, I don't know. Verse 13. Then they took the man to the Pharisees. Now it happened that Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath. Okay, Jesus is always doing this on the Sabbath. He's always getting the Pharisees mad, right? The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he smoothed the mud over my eyes, and then he washed it, and I washed away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. And others said, well, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous things? So there's a lot of division and deep opinion among all of them. Verse 17. Then the Pharisees once again questioned the man who had been blind, and they demanded, The man who opened your eyes, who did you say he is? The man replied, I, I don't know. I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders wouldn't believe he had been blind. So they called in the parents, and they asked the parents, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? Verse 20. His parents replied, We know this is our son. He was born blind but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. He's old enough to speak for himself. You ask him. They said this because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders because what would happen if you speak against the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders are like, you can't come and worship here anymore. You get kicked out of the synagogue. Verse 23. That's why they said he's old enough to speak for himself. Verse 24. So the second time they called in the man who had been born blind and they told him, give glory to God by telling the truth. You liar. Because we know Jesus is a sinner. I threw that liar in. Because that's what they're insinuating. Okay. Verse 25. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind. Now I can see. Okay, how frustrating is that? He's been blind his whole life. And instead of people saying, this is incredible. This is great news. You can see. Oh, Let's, let's go down to the Jordan and swim. Let's go do something fun. I don't know. You can see. Let me go show you what, what trees look like, what grass, what the colors are. Right? No, it was, let's interrogate him. Let's ask him a bunch of questions. Who did this? How did they do it? Was this a Jesus guy? Was it on the Sabbath? Shame. Right? I was like, are you kidding me? Why so much interrogation? There should have been celebration. When I was reading this, one of the first things that came to my mind was a video of a little baby. I think maybe four months old, um, and, and it was born blind, not able to see. And, and they, uh, somebody came up with some incredible glasses. Uh, they developed these glasses to put on this baby so the baby could see his parents and could, could see. And so the vid, they, I watch this video, and it's like they're, they're talking to the baby. And, of course, the baby's like, uh, and, it's, and it's a little um, chair thingy. And um, looking around, and, and they put these little cute little glasses on this baby. And all of a sudden, huge smile. It's like, so this is my mom. This is my dad who's been speaking to me. This is his picture. Look at that smile. Isn't that awesome? Can you not? I mean, and I'm looking at all of you, and I'm seeing a lot of smiles. That's what I'm talking about. There should have been celebration. That little baby's like, I can see. I can't talk, but I can see. And the smile is saying it all. 
And why is it that in the world today, when we see God do something amazing, we don't smile more, we don't celebrate more, we don't say, God is good, hallelujah, praise God, instead of like, how did he do it? Well, tell me your story. Here's the thing, we all have a story. We all have a message of how God did something in our life, and we need to share that more. The world needs to hear that Jesus can step into your life and change things. And it's like, but he hasn't changed it completely, but he's been working on you, hasn't he? Yeah, praise God that he is working on you. You know, Jesus can bring light into the darkest of lives, physically and spiritually. And this is what I know about God. He is too loving to be unkind. And he is too wise to make mistakes. And he is too powerful to be thwarted in some kind of infinite purpose. He can do anything. That's who he is. And listen, none of us in this room like pain. None of us in this room like suffering. None of us in this room like when life seems to be unfair. And I I get that. We all understand that. But here's the thing. In those moments, God wants to reveal his power in you and your family. And he can. To blame God for evil and suffering in your life is to have a thwarted view of God. I just ask you to refocus. Because God is not that kind of God. God is an awesome God. God is grace. God is love. God is good. And God is life. God showed us his great mercy that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me hear you say for us. He did it for us. That's grace, giving us something we don't deserve. You know what love is? Is, is Romans 8, 31 says, What shall we say about the wonderful things of these? If God is, let me hear you say for us, for us, then who can be against us? Since he didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, wouldn't he also give us everything else? Verse 34 goes on to say, Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us, and he was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. That's God's love. God is so full of love. He is love, and God is good. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow, says James 1.17. Romans 3.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Free gift of life. He is life. God is grace. God is love. God is good. God is life. That's him. So let him speak into your life right now. You got a dark place in your light right now? Let the light come in and expose the darkness. Because it's like a floodlight that comes in and exposes every dark corner. A lot of us are like, I don't want, that's why I don't want to go to church. That's why I don't want to be a part of a group. That's why, because we don't want the darkness exposed. And Jesus says, let me expose it. Because you need to see. And I want to take care of you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to wrap this up with an application. Here's the application. Here's what we take away from it. Because a lot of times, like when I'm, when I'm at, a, at a place where somebody else is speaking or a pastor speaking or I'm listening to a podcast, I usually you know, pray like, all right, God's laid something upon my heart. I don't know what God's laid upon your heart. Whenever I preach on Sunday, I just pray, God, may they be your words, not mine. Let me just speak truth. Speak in the hearts of those that are here and send them in whatever way they need to go. This morning, I don't know what God's laid upon your heart, but I will give you three things that I hope that you get from this. 
One is this. Jesus can change your life if you let him. But you've got to surrender to him. We forget about that first part. Spit, made mud, put it on his eyes. But then what did Jesus say? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. See, if, if he would have never surrendered and been obedient to the commands of Jesus, he would have never been healed. A lot of us hear Jesus. We never follow through. And then we wonder why there isn't change in our life. You got to surrender to him. If he asks you to do something, you need to do it. All we need to know is his name, his love, his forgiveness. And respond in faith. Here's the second thing. In the midst of your life, can you find reason to praise God? I think so. I believe so. Our lives should scream praises to God just like this man. Some of us praise differently. Some of us praise with a somber face. Some of us praise with big smiles. Some of us praise God by lifting our hands. Some of us get on our knees. Some of us praise God by we just can't shut up. We got to tell everybody all the time what's going on in our lives, right? Praise God. Give a shout of testimony. Tell people what you're celebrating. Let them know why you're happy. Christians are not the grumpy people, okay? We are the rejoicing ones. We have one to rejoice in. And here's the last thing. Serve him before it's too late. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we're on the same team with Jesus. His mission is to seek and save those who are lost. If we are on the same team with Jesus, it's time for us to go with him and reach those who are lost, those who are blind, physically and spiritually especially. Jesus says, now's the time. We must. Time is short. Serve God. Church, you have to understand, statistics show that the average person will surrender their life to Jesus Christ between the ages of 7 and 18. After 18, the numbers decline when people give their life to Christ. Why is our youth and children's program so important? Why do we do things with FCA? Why do we do things in, in churches with youth groups? Because we've got to reach them while they're young. Because statistics are showing us and people, we're seeing now in our culture that once they get out of high school, it's hard people to accept the truth of Jesus Christ. There's a point in time in which we're all going to die. And the question is, are you ready? And are you sharing that with others? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for your truth, for the story. I thank you for the, the reminders that you are good. You are love. You are grace and you are life. And we know life isn't fair, but in the midst of this unfair and pain that we go through, you never once abandon us. You are faithful to being with us. You are faithful to healing. And even though some of us may be physically, we are still getting challenged spiritually. You have promised to make us completely new. And that starts the moment we place our faith in you. So God, I don't know what you've laid upon the hearts of this church, whether we need to surrender to you for the first time, whether we need to be obedient to the things you ask us to do. Maybe we need to just praise you more. But Lord, I know all of us can all serve you and share you with others and take you to those who are blind, take you to those who are hurting, take you to those who are paralyzed. So God, help us to join you in this mission to seek and save those who are lost. God, I thank you for this church. 
Thank you that we can worship in truth. God, as we worship in song, continue to work in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.